believers can't say that they've read through the entire Bible. And this is not a point of shame or judgment at all, but rather it's a, it's, it's a point for us who are um, preachers or teachers of the word to encourage and motivate believers to just simply read through the text. I know it seems like a simple endeavor. And sometimes we, we, we can sometimes posture ourselves as the exclusive experts of scripture in a way where people won't even read the word unless they're reading it with an expert or people won't read the word unless someone is teaching them every, everything about what the word says. And so there are a lot of folks who they actually don't read the entire thing because in their minds, they go, this is uh, a, this is an overwhelming book. It's got a lot of pages. There's a lot of things going on. It's complicated. Uh, the language is a little weird. Sometimes the language can be a little obtuse. There's all kinds of different things that people can say. And the reality is, is that, well, it's not meant for just the experts. It's meant for every believer. As, as a matter of fact, if we posture ourselves to hear from God, as we read the text, this is the whole purpose of it. This is a spiritual text. This is not an academic text. Um, if you read it as an academic text, great. You can you can engage in in all the academic exercises and intellectual exercises, and you can do all the gymnastics that your mind would find pleasure in, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is for the Lord to speak to you through the text. And I find that when we actually endeavor to do that, when we engage in doing that, it's, it, ch- it changes lives. It changes lives. And so um, thank you so much, Tina. This is a new setup. So I'm glad that you guys like the new camera setup. I did this all for you. I did this all for you guys. Um, join us all on YouTube, y'all. Please subscribe. If you're watching right now, subscribe. If you are if you haven't yet liked the, the video as well, because it allows people to come on and to jump on. I got folks from all over. I've got folks on TikTok. I got folks on IG. I've got folks on Twitch, on YouTube. We are all over the place. I will say this. I'm looking at like five different cameras, y'all. So, so please forgive me if you see my eyes go everywhere. I'm all over the place. This is why I'm always all over the place. So just give me your heads up so you guys know that. Um, but, you know, again, what, what I want to do is just read through the Bible with you guys. We've read from Genesis and now we're reading through the the prophets and, <clears throat> and we're closing out. We're going to read today is the shortest of the books in the Bible. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Bible. Um, and we're just going to read through it. We're going to read through it. If you're here, if you, if this is your first time here, this is the read and rant where we spend 20, 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on the word. Uh, Today is a little bit different first because, well, today will be shorter first because this is a shorter book. This is the shortest book in the old Testament. One, two, I got a trip. I'm about to head out uh, to Denver. And so um, I wanted to squeeze this in before I head out and hop on a plane. And so I'm just glad that we were able to do this and to spend some time in the word. No better way to start the day. There are folks from all over. We got folks from South Africa here. We've got folks from the United Arab Emirates. We've got folks from all over uh, the country and all over the world. Um, who are engaging with us in the world. For some of you, it's good morning. For some of you, it's good evening. For some of you, it's lunchtime. For some of you, you may be reading this. You may be not reading, well, obviously reading, but you may be watching this or listening to this later. And so whether it's on Patreon or it's on Discord, I'm just glad you're here and I'm glad you're spending this time in the word and I'm glad you're journeying with us. And 
And so I thank you all for this time. As we do this, as we engage in this, again, this is not an intellectual exercise. So we're going to pray. And what we're going to ask God is to reveal himself to us. And so these are the three questions that I encourage everyone to engage in as we spend time in the reading of the word. The first question is, God, what are you revealing? That's the first question. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? We're going to pray. We're going to read. Spend a few moments to reflect. Got nothing planned. This is what we call the read and rant. It's more of a rant than it is anything else. I just want you to read with me. If you don't endure the rant, that's fine as well. Just read with me. That's it. Just read with me. And and then if you want to hang, hang with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that you've given us to come together to read your word. Father, I pray today. Lord, as we read this, Lord, we come, Lord, with minds open, with hearts open to receive from you, Father. I pray that this would uh, transform something in us, Father. Correct us where we need correction. Rebuke us where we need rebuke. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Father, be for each and every one of us in this moment what we need. For we know that you are Jireh. You are the supplier of all our needs according to your riches and glory. You provide. Father. And so I ask, Lord, that you would give us this day our daily bread. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Obadiah says this, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you a, make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will dwell in the clefts of the rock. Your inhabitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend, High as the eagles, though, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves have come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. I will not in that day, says the Lord. Sorry, will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Ooh. Then your mighty men, O Taman, shall be dispaid to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you 
and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the other on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction. In the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. For your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they have never been. But on Mount Zion, there should be deliverance, and there should be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Jacob a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of his hosts of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem, who are in Sephard, shall possess the cities of the south. Then I'll come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. And that, my friends, is the book of Obadiah. Um, Obadiah being the smallest book in the Bible uh, tends to also be one of the most overlooked books in the Bible. Um, Obadiah is a book that, you know, most people, if you ask, have you read Obadiah lately? People don't read Obadiah. Um, People you know, they, they'll read Romans. Oh, yeah, we'll read Romans over and over again. Or we'll read Genesis over and over again. We'll read, <laughs> I mean, just go through the list, right? We've got our books that we love. We'll read the Gospels over and over again. And for good reason. Don't get it twisted. For good reason. Obadiah is not on my list of favorite books. So I get it. It's an often overlooked book. It's the shortest book. Uh, book in the Old Testament, and it's an overlooked book in the Old Testament because it almost seems like it doesn't really connect with anything. Um, what does this apply? Why does this even matter? Why Why does Obadiah really matter? I mean, that's really the question, right? I mean, you look at the text and you read it and you're like, okay. And if you read at first glance, you're going to say, oh, 
okay, what did I just read? So let me help you out. And again, this is just to give perspective. The first perspective that um, Obadiah provides to us is it gives us a peek into the Gospels. And what I mean by that is it gives us a peek into what Jesus was entering in when he entered in, in the time that he had entered in. Um, Jesus is entering in a time of cultural clash. And in that cultural clash, you have the Roman Empire. And then from the Roman Empire, you've got, of course, Israel's aspirations. And so you've got the Roman Empire's uh, imperialistic endeavors taking over Israel. But then you have Israel's aspirations for a new Jerusalem, a new nation, a new people, a restoration. And now we get a peek into the the complexities and the nuances of Israel's aspirations. And so you've got a clash of these two things happening here. Of course, the Roman Empire is also going through their own internal thing, but that's another conversation for another day. We can talk about Jesus in more specificity there, the life of Jesus and how and how the time that Jesus had entered into human existence, the time that he entered into human existence was a time of cataclysmic humanitarian, human, uh, anthropological uh, shift. It was a time of, of, of cultural shifting. It was a key pivotal moment in human history. And Jesus enters into this history through a people. And the people that he enters in through is through the people of promise. These people of promise were the children of Israel, the chosen people of God, chosen to do what? To bring and to usher in the kingdom of God, the promise of God, of restoration for all of humanity. This is Israel, what they were chosen for. We talk about the Israelites and there's so much stuff going on, especially with uh, the whole Kyrie thing, which I'm still processing through. And eventually maybe I'll say something about it. Um, cause I have a lot of ways that I feel about the whole Kyrie situation. However, that's not what we're here to talk about, <laughs> but I find that even then just scrolling through Twitter, Twitter is becoming like one of the most toxic places on the planet. But as I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm seeing all the comments and, uh, the back and forth on anti-Semitism and the Hebrews and the chosen people and, and the Europeans and the Africans. And I find that really at the end of the day, what people are trying to do is, is people are trying to posture their influence and their power. One says, I was a chosen person. And the other one says, I was a chosen person. And then we're all battling over who the chosen people are because we're all bickering and fighting over something that doesn't even exist. We're bickering and fighting over a power that doesn't exist. And you have folks who will say, well, we are the chosen people. And really what they're actually saying is, is that we're the ones who ought to have control. One demonic agenda to another demonic agenda. Again, we're not here to have all these conversations. Because at the end of the day, really, when people are talking about what they were chosen for, most people, they want to simply be chosen for wealth, for influence, and for power. And yet the children of Israel weren't chosen for any of these things. 
They were chosen as the mediators of God. They were chosen to bring the righteousness and the justice of God, to bring restoration to all people, all humanity, not set aside to be a people who get a special seat at the table of humanity. It's funny how we, again, this is a side rant to the rant, but this is a side rant. It's just funny to me how we have people who want to combat racism with racism. They want to combat um, bigotry with bigotry. They want to fight hate with hate. I just find that interesting. And it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical to fight racism with racism. It's hypocritical to say, well, for what you did to us, we will then respond in kind. There's a hypocrisy to it, but it's understandable because, again, it's a consequence of the human condition that what we want is our own power and our own influence. When at the end of the day, we were called to exist for the glory of God. We don't want the glory of God anymore. We want our own glory. We want our own influence. We want our own position. We want our own titles. That's what we want. But when we talk about the children of Israel, or we talk about the Hebrew people, we're talking about a people who were chosen in covenant by God, covenantally to call and to usher in the kingdom of God, the justice of God. And this happened through people. And these people now, if we find, we've read through the history, we read through all this, we talked about all this before, go back, read all the stuff we read before, just read along with me. But now we find ourselves in Obadiah and Obadiah writes an entire book pronouncing a judgment on Edom. An entire book to pronounce judgment on a people. Now, of course, some of us would see this and we go, wait, what did what, what did Edom do? I mean, what did Edom do for Edom to be so judged? What did Edom do for these this prophet to pronounce these judgments on these people? But I have to remind you that this isn't the first time that e- that 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 Edom has been spoken of. This is not the first time that prophets have pronounced. Judgments against Edom. As a matter of fact, we saw it in the book that we read right before this. We saw it in, hold on. Um, and in verse six, there it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up in Edom. And then in verse eight, he says, I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter from Eshkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and a remnant of of the Philistines shall perish. He speaks of these judgments. And then he says in verse nine, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyr and for four, I will not turn away punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. Huh. 
we get a peek into now the nature of that judgment. I'm just marking that real quick. So we see that judgment was pronounced on Edom in Amos. Oh, and if you read the, the chapter before in Joel chapter three, and if you look at verse 19 in Joel chapter three, verse 19, where is it? There it is right there. It says, Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. We see Edom. We see pronouncements being done on Edom. Then you'll see it in the book of Daniel pronouncements being done on Edom. You'll see it in the book of Ezekiel. We could just keep rewinding and we see pronouncements that are being done on them. We see pronouncements in, in Jeremiah. I believe it's Jeremiah. What was it? Hold on. Let me flip there real quick. We're just rewinding all the prophets that we just read. I know we just quickly skimmed over it, but now it looks like Edom looks like the scriptures are not letting us ignore Edom for some reason. <clears throat> there it is right there in Jeremiah chapter 49, verse seven. He says, against Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom more than Taman? Has counsel uh, perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Right? And if you keep going, there's a whole section in Jeremiah on Edom. And then in verse 17, he says, Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues. I mean, there's a major judgment here on Edom. So the question is, is what did Edom do? Where did we go wrong here with Edom? What, what, did, what, what, did, what did Edom do? Why, did, why are these judgments being placed on Edom? Well, we get a little peek into that. And I know this is not Bible study. We'll say that. I know it's on Patreon. Uh, for those of you who are watching, please support us on Patreon. Um, but if you remember, I believe, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me flip there real quick here. The book of Psalms, you know what I mean? The the, the mixtape of the, of the people of Israel, you know, the songs of the street, song of the hood. Uh, let's see here. So, well, yeah, look at that. Psalm 137. Look at that. Another pronouncement here. It says in Psalm 137, this long, again, Psalm 137 speaking about this longing for, uh, for, for, for justice, longing for Zion, these people to return to a foreign land. And now we go to the mixtape, you know what I'm saying? From the hood and in Psalm 137 verse seven, it says, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. Okay. So, there's something that happened to Edom. There's something that occurred. There's something that transpired that brings us here. We know the story of Israel. Israel has fallen short as a chosen people. Israel fell short over and over and over again. And finally, Israel was overtaken by um, the Babylonians. We see this in the book of First Kings. I don't remember exactly where, because my memory uh, eludes me right now. 
but it is in first Kings. And we see, I believe it's in first Kings 25. You can go and refer to that. When Babylon finally takes over, we see Israel fall into captivity. You have to understand that when they fell captive, this Northern army that came down, which we saw the, the, the prophetic warnings in the previous prophets and the books that were written by the previous prophets, we see this prophetic warning and we see that Edom becomes part of this. Even in Amos, Amos is circling around all the neighboring nations. Edom is just one of those neighboring nations. And now Obadiah writes his judgment because Edom was among them. How was Edom among them? Because again, this Northern empire came down and not only overtook Israel, eventually overtook all the other nations. Why Edom? Why Edom? What is it about Edom? What is it about Edom that has done this? What did Edom do? If anybody knows, Edom is, uh, Edom actually is a word that means red. It's a word in the Hebrew Bible and it's, 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 it's a word that means red, which was really ascribed to the descendants of Esau. We also see that here. I just feel like a Bible study, but I'm going to get to my point. Um, <clears throat> the descendants of Esau, we see that alluded in verse eight. If you look at verse eight, it says, um, will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. So Esau is the father of the nation of Edom, the people of Edom. And if you know anything about Esau, what you know about Esau, again, is that he was, um, the scriptures tell us uh, in Genesis that he was red all over. Okay, He was hairy and red all over. And that's why where they got the name Edom from, because Edom means red. So these are the red people or the descendants of Esau. If anybody knows anything about Esau, you would know that Esau was actually the, 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 the oldest son of Isaac. Isaac had two twin sons. Well, two twin sons are one set of twins. One is Esau and the other was Jacob. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the youngest. And if you recall, Esau was the hunter. And when it came time for Isaac to hand his birthright, we, we know the story. But if you guys go back, you'll read it because there's so much more to that story than just e Esau selling his birthright for a meal. There's much more to that. But these are two twin brothers born on the same day. One had the rightful place as a birthright, but the other one received the birthright. Jacob, who received the birthright, stole it from his brother. Jacob then, of course, escapes and he wrestles with God. His name was changed to Israel. And then we know from Israel, he had the 12 sons. Those 12 sons became 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes became a whole nation. This whole text, this whole book is really centered on them. Remember, I told you, even when you read the scriptures, you don't read, especially the Old Testament. You do not read the Old Testament as if it was written to you. You have to first read it through the lens of the people that it was written to about the people that it was written to. 
And then you see the implications of it and how it applies to you. That's why we all read the Bible wrong. That's why we sit around reading, you know, uh, Genesis and, and, and we'll read Exodus and we'll read all the laws of Leviticus and automatically assume they were for us when they were never for us. <laughs> they never actually applied. We're too busy reading, you know, we're too busy reading it and going, okay, this is what God is, this is what the Bible is telling me to do. No, stop reading it that way. You have to read it through the lens of the people that it was written to. Okay. Don't mess up. And then you miss the whole point. You miss the whole point because you're too busy reading it for yourself. Now, first reading it through the lens of the person that it was being written to, to then acquire the implications of that, to see how it actually applies to you today. We missed that part. <clears throat> and so we know the nation of Israel, but there was also another son. We forget about Esau. And for a long time, Esau and Jacob, they were not cool with each other. It was up until the end when Jacob had to return back to Canaan that he reconciled with his brother, Esau. Esau wanted him dead. Esau wanted to kill him and Jacob wasn't hiding. And then finally, these brothers had reconciled. Pay very close attention to this fam because this is so critically important. How is it then? Two brothers, sibling DNA, same father, born on the same day. Two brothers, Fraternal twins, but be it twins nonetheless, with very similar DNAs of the same blood who reconcile with each other, but both birth two separate families. And these separate families became separate nations. Do you understand that by blood, Edom is the closest thing to Israel. By blood, Edom is the closest thing to Israel. The only difference between Edom and Israel is that Edom wasn't given the promise. And the continuation of God's mission and God's plan was through Israel. But by blood, they are the same. Ethnicity, they are the same. In every sense, they are the same. <laughs> they are one family. Why am I bringing all this up? Why does all this matter? Why? Okay, Pastor, where are you going with this? What I'm going with this is is we see the consequence of what happens from early on that passes down, the fractures early on that pass down generations later. That's the first thing. I don't have enough time for that because I got to go in a couple minutes. But I want to point you to the fact that one should have seen the other as a brother. One should have seen the other, but of course the scriptures tell us about the curse and about the consequences of what 
transpired as a result of Edom's disobedience and Edom's trend. Sorry, not Edom, but um, Esau's disobedience, Esau's transgressions. We don't have time for that. But I will point you to this. The immediate thing that transpires between two families that are related to one another. When Israel was taken into captivity, when Israel was overtaken, what does the scriptures tell us? It says in verse 15 that we just read here. For the day of the Lord is upon the nations is near. Sorry, not verse 15. Sorry. In verse 14. Actually, no, verse 13. It says, you should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. The day of the calamity is referring to when, when the Babylonians came and, and, and submitted Israel to captivity. It says, in the day of their calamity, indeed, you should not you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, not to a brother, oh, but even worse, nor lay hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. You should not have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. That points us back now to what we read in Psalm 137. <clears throat> it points us back to what we saw in Psalm 137, verse 7, where it says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, that same day, when they declared, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. Edom saw his brother. under attack and what edom did was edom waited and did not come in israel's defense because edom was prideful in their own power edom wanted their own position edom wanted to play politics and then after israel was pulled out edom then came in and started taking the scraps whatever was left over edom took Whatever was left over as the city was burning down, Edom took. Are y'all catching where I'm at, fam? And as we continue to read, and we'll see elements of this all throughout Kings. So you can read this again throughout Kings. But we saw what Edom did to his brother. Even the ones who were trying to escape and who were trying to run. What Edom did was, is Edom captured them on their way out, trying to flee the city. Rather than protecting Israel, rather than coming to Israel's defense, rather than coming to their brother's defense, Edom not only left their brother hanging dry, Edom scavenged whatever was left over of their brother. And Edom then took even the captives and sent them back. They took advantage of Israel. And Israel's moment of weakness. I've always said that pride is a weakness. Pride is a false sense of strength, but it is a weakness. You know, that pride comes before the fall. Pride is the thing that we often use to overcompensate for what we do not have. Pride is a form of hate. 
pride is posturing. Pride is an imagination. Pride is never real. You can have nothing and be prideful, and you can have everything and be humble. You can have no skill, no ability, and be prideful. And you can see yourself as great and be humble. Pride is a is a false sense of strength. It's a posturing of yourself. It's a overcompensation. Is it surprising that the most prideful, the most insecure, there's nothing weaker than someone who's overly prideful. There's some this there's something about pride. What pride does, pride makes you take whatever measures to position yourself in places you shouldn't be positioned. Pride will make you formulate things and to do things that you shouldn't do in order to get to places that you shouldn't go. Pride never ends well because pride puts you somewhere where you want to be and not what God, where God wants you to be. And there's a lot of folk who don't understand this. This is the consequence of pride. I can talk all day here. I just want to speak into really what the Lord is speaking into me today. Is notice what Edom is being uh, judged for. The judgment over Edom is for Edom's pride. Pride gets you nowhere, fam. Pride, the only place pride will get you is pride will get you somewhere that you ought not to be. Put you in positions that you shouldn't be in. Pride will get you somewhere, but it's not where God wants you to be. And because it's not where God wants you to be, in the end, it leads to your fault. Because where God wants you is where not only you ought to be, but it's where you flourish. Pride mispositions you. Pride puts you in the wrong place. You see, here's the thing about pride. This false sense of this this false sense of ability that you have, this false sense, this false notion of thinking you need to be here, you ought to be here, and this ought to be where you see that kind of thinking is the very thing that gets you where you ought not to be. And you will take whatever means and whatever measures. This is why pride leads to sin. Pride is the reason why people sleep around to get promotions. Pride is the reason why people will do nasty and ugly things to other people in order to position themselves. Pride is the reason why people will take advantage of people who are weak because pride makes you think you ought to be somewhere where you're not. Putting yourself in arenas that you shouldn't be in. Stepping into a place that you shouldn't be in and you get confused why once you're there, you can't sustain there because you were never meant to be there in the first place. This is why pride leads to your fall. And this is why those who are humble, <laughs> this is why the scriptures say that God God exalts the humble and he resists the proud. You want to know why? Because people who are prideful have a false sense of strength, false sense of ability that makes them think that they should be in arenas and in places where God doesn't even want them anyway. 
that God has a better plan for them, but they choose their plan over God's. And so what pride does is pride positions you where you ought not to be. And so God has to resist that because it doesn't align with him, his plan, and your flourishing. Uh, but for those who are humble, they allow the streams of God's grace to guide them and to lead them where they're called to be and where they're called to go. Yeah, he resists the proud. He exalts the humble. The problem with Edom is Edom's pride. Edom was okay with taking advantage of Edom's brother, Israel. Edom had no right, no right to take what was Israel's, no right to take Israel's, <clears throat> Israel's possessions, no right to scavenge and, 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 and to take what was not theirs. And then even worse, the people who fled trying to find safety, they took them back in and brought them to captivity. The, this, the history of Edom and Israel is very complex, and I don't want to oversimplify it. And I know I've got scholars in here who are going, wait, there's a lot you're missing. I know, I get that. But what I'm trying to at least point to is for you to see the heart of Edom and the heart of God and to see what's happening here. Because the consequence of it is that the day of the Lord, verse 15, is upon all nations and is near. It's upon Edom. It's upon all nations. And yet what Edom is, is an image of who we are. We are Edom, y'all. There are those of us right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. How many folk can say that right now? How many folk can say, you know what? I forced myself into things I should have never got into. I put myself into positions I never should have put myself into. Mm. I did some ugly things to get some positions at some jobs or to get some positions in my career that I should have never been in. And it isn't surprising that because you did awkward things to get there, now you feel awkward when you are there. That's what happens. And yet what the gospel says is that even in the midst of all that, God can restore you in it. But it takes repentance. It takes repentance and correction because you have to honor and you have to acknowledge the fact that it was your pride that got you there in the first place. You should have never did it. And yet what he wants to do is he wants to humble you in that. You look at this text, fam, and you see what's happening here is that while Edom is being judged and then he proclaims Israel's triumph. Look at this now. Israel, who was scoured. Israel who was taken over Israel, who suffered Edom's pride. It says that Israel will then be established again. The house of Israel shall be aflame. The house of Israel and the stubble that is left, look at it, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall be kindled. There will be no survivor that shall remain in the house of Esau. You say that's the judgment of God. Then the south shall possess the mountains of Israel. The lowly, the lowlands shall possess Philistia. These are all the neighboring nations. Edom didn't have to suffer what the Canaanites suffered. But Edom has fallen into it because Edom has participated in it. I'll say one last thing. 
And this is just a word of judgment. Here's where it says, it says, then Savior at the end, then Savior shall come to Mount Zion and judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's hard to read that at first because you say, wait, hold on. There's no hope for Edom. But no, that's not true because we read Amos already. We know what happens in Amos. It's not only is Israel restored, but all who call on the name of the Lord will be restored along with him. However, we see a word of warning here. There's a word of warning for us all. When you see your brother and your sister, just, 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 just listen to me for just for a moment. When you see your brother and your sister, do you just watch idly? When you see injustice, do you just watch idly? When you see people who are being taken advantage of, do you just watch idly? Not only do you just watch idly, do you participate? Do you do you take advantage? I think it's it, it's it's a word for all of us because this restoration of God's kingdom requires the restoration of our hearts. And at the root of it, it speaks to our pride. That our pride seeks comfort, seeks influence, seeks power, seeks these things, and yet doesn't seek the glory of Christ. But if we sought after the glory of Christ, the Jesus who made himself of no reputation, compels us to make ourselves of no reputation. The Jesus who chose to leave comfort so that he can restore humanity is, is the same Jesus that compels us to leave our comfort. The Jesus who restored us and made us brand new in him calls us to be agents of renewal and restoration. Restoration begins in our heart, but it should live out in our lives. How are we really living, fam? Are we living out the finished work of Christ? Are we living out what Jesus has done? Or are we just like Edom? You know what's funny? The word Edom is a small variation of the word Adam. The Edom and Adam. Edom is just a picture and a portrait of humanity. We're all Edom, y'all. We all have Edom in us. I think that's the thing we have to admit. We all have Edom in us. And yet the restoration of Israel comes with a desolation of Edom because what God wants to do is he wants to destroy the old and to establish the new. Edom is actually a part of God's restoration. <laughs> Fam, I got to run. I know I'm cutting it short, but I got to go. I love you guys. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go. But let's just be reminded of that today. What drives us? Our pride or our humility? Dearly Father, I thank you. Lord, as we uh, carry about our day to day, Lord, let us be reminded, even through Obadiah, uh, the horrible, vile things that come just from pride. 
the things that we do sometimes that are out of character because of our pride. So Father, I pray that you restore that in us. Humble us, O God. Lord, humble us, for we know, Lord, that you exalt the humble and you resist the proud. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Fam, I love y'all. If you're watching right now, go join my Discord community right now. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. I want to encourage you to join our Discord community. And if you... <clears throat> and, um, and also... Subscribe to our Patreon. We're trying to meet our goal, okay? We're not moving as quickly as I'd like to, but before the end of the year, we want to get to our goal of 100 more. So guys, pray, prayerfully consider becoming a patron. It's patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're actually live on YouTube. I'm going to leave this episode up today on YouTube today, okay? I'll leave this up. I'm not going to leave all of them up, but I'm going to leave this one up. Um, and I'm going to make this available to all the patrons. By the way, the audios are always available right away on Patreon. But today, uh, they won't be available because I'm getting on a plane, but I'll edit it when I get to the hotel later, okay? And I'll post it for you guys, all right? But definitely subscribe to our Discord. Thank you so much. I love my Discord fam. I see y'all. Um, guys, I want you, as you guys are on Discord, by the way, the, the other benefit of going on Discord is, is you can share your prayer requests. We can do community together. I'm on the chat right now. There are people who are praying or sending prayer requests. Guys, I want you guys to be in prayer for, I know I got to run, but I just saw the message there. So I want to, oh goodness, it just froze on me. All right, it just froze on me. Um, But just go on there, pray for one another, encourage one another. Love y'all fam, got to run. God bless you guys.